book of Genesis, chapter number 25. We're going to look at a man who, who chose a bowl of soup. And, and kind of pun intended, i kind of been studying on, the, on this particular passage for a, a little while. And just so happened to work out for Super Bowl Sunday night. So much emphasis is put on sporting events, especially whenever it comes down to the end of the season. There's only one or two teams left, and and those that make it, they're excited to be there, and those that missed it, they're watching anxiously to, to make sure that the team that beat them out wins. And, and there's so much money made on it, it's absolutely crazy between the, the television and the, the sponsorships and the ads and the tickets and all that good, terrible, wonderful stuff. And why in the world I got to play it on Sunday, I will never understand. Satan got his hooks in this world years and years and years ago. And, and what he did, and, and hey, <laughs> I heard a preacher say one time, he said, Satan ain't stupid. Anything that he can do to take away from the Word of God, from the work of God, he does. But you know, the thing is, we have to let him. We have to let him. James says that if we will resist the devil, he will flee from us. He says that if, if we serve God and we resist the devil, he will flee from us. That, that we do not give place to the devil. James chapter 4, he says that we have to give him place in order for him to come into our lives, in order for him to, to take over, in order for him to work through us. And I believe with all of my heart that Satan can work through Christians. I believe that it happens all over. I believe that the majority of churches that suffer problems is because Satan works through individuals that are saved. I don't believe that a, an individual that is saved can necessarily be possessed. But I believe that Satan can get his hooks in everybody that is, is willing. And every individual that gives him place, that gives him opportunity. That, that harbors feelings and harbors things in their heart that separates them from God. Things that distance us from God. That those of us who even may neglect to, to attend church or, or read the Bible or, or praise and worship Him or pray. Whenever we fall out of fellowship with God, we have to fall into fellowship with something else. You have never in your life, never, have you spilled something and it fell into nothing. Right? Bailey spilled her milk at supper tonight. And whenever she spilled it, it didn't fall out of her cup into nothing. It fell out of her cup into her dress. It dripped down out of her dress onto the floor. It run off of the floor onto the rug. Nothing has ever fell out into nothing. It don't exist. It don't happen. So whenever we fall out of fellowship with God, we have to fall into something else. And, and that is becoming fellowship with the world. Whenever we choose the things of the world over the things of God, then we know that we are truly in trouble. Book of Genesis, chapter number 25, we're going to begin reading in verse number 33. The book of Genesis, chapter number 25, verse number 33. If you would, let's stand for the reading of God's word tonight. Genesis 25, verse number 33. And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold, talking about Esau, sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau the bread and the pottage and the lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to come and gather at your house again tonight. 
Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us, God. You've been so good to us. Help us tonight as we would look into your word. God, help us so we wouldn't despise your word, that we wouldn't despise your work, that we wouldn't despise prayer, that we wouldn't despise fellowship, God, that we could be in the center of your will in all things at all times. God, help us that we could do so with open hearts, God, that we'd be willing to hear what you'd have to say to us tonight through your word and through your spirit. God, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I believe that we can, uh, uh, most of us here can agree on one thing. Although we can't agree on much. Can't agree on much at all. Brother Randy, this is a red tie. It's not orange. No matter how much you may call it orange, it's, it's still red. It is. It's still red. We can't. I don't want to hear it. You're not going to convince me. You're not going to do it. And although we may disagree on all of that, we can agree that the, that the prime rib last night was phenomenal. That dessert, the desserts were absolutely delicious. They were, I mean, just spectacular. That was a, a phenomenal meal. You're, you're not going to get that meal for less than $80 a person anywhere else in the world. But how many of you did not eat at all today? Y'all ate today? Y'all had lunch? I missed breakfast because it did kind of fill me up. But I did eat lunch. And I ate a good lunch. Emily made these little pork fillets wrapped in bacon, some lima beans, and had a half of Bailey's cheesecake for dessert. And you know what? I ate supper before I came to. And the reason is that no matter how good and no matter how wonderful a meal is, we're still going to get hungry again. And the thing about it is, and, and me and my brother was having this discussion about eating in restaurants. He said, I don't like eating in restaurants. I'd just soon go to Sonic and get the $1 corn dog. I said, how come? He said, because eventually I'm going to get hungry. And if I pay a dollar for a corn dog or $30 for a roll of sushi, I'm going to be the same hungry in about four hours. He ain't wrong. He ain't wrong. We're going to be the same hungry in a little while. And the point I'm trying to make is, and we're going to go back and read this whole little bit in just a second, is Esau found himself in a, in a dire strait in his own mind. He found himself some kind of hungry. Wore out. He said, if I don't get something in me pretty quick, I might die. Y'all ever been that hungry? Of course not. We don't get that hungry. We don't miss many meals. Jacob, I can just see him sitting there saying, what's it worth to you? What's it worth to you? That's a question I want to ask us tonight. What is it worth? Let's go back up and, and begin reading verse number 27. It said, And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter and a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. Then Esau said unto Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him and sold his birthright unto Jacob. And Jacob gave to Esau the bread and the pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink, rose up, went on his way, and Esau thus despised his birthright. And the next morning he got up and was hungry again. Jacob said, Esau, what's it worth to you? Sell me your birthright. Sell me what you have coming to you down the road. Esau said, well, it's not doing me any good right now. 
It's not making me any money right now. It's not making me any food right now. It's not killing me any deer right now. It's not doing me any good right now. I can't see the benefit of it at all. Therefore, Jacob, it's yours. So the question is posed to us tonight. Is what is our birthright worth? What is God worth in our life? Truth be told, not near about as much as he ought to be. What is God's work worth in our life? Not near about what it ought to be. And it just comes down to the fact that there's so many other things that, that we find to be more important. There are churches across America, especially across the South, that built big sanctuaries like this. And had pews lined up everywhere. And, and every now and then you'll see those pews full. But the, the thing you don't see is you don't see the same seats sat in every service. Can we agree with that? We don't see the same seats sat in every service. And very few churches, I, I dare say that no church sees the same seats sat in every service. And that is because things change. People have stuff going on. They, they can't make it. They work. They take vacations. They're... They're here sometimes, they're not other times. But when it comes right down to the work of God, is it important enough for us to push through? Or do we sell out? Do we push through? Or do we sell out? This question has been posed to Christians for as long as time has existed. Do we push through? Do we continue to work the work of God? Or do we stop? Do we sell out? If you get an opportunity to study the missionary Paul, the missionary journey of Paul, the last one, Paul had every opportunity to stop. Paul had every opportunity to be freed. Paul had every opportunity to be let go. Paul was going to, he, he said, had he not appealed, had he not appealed to Caesar, this man would have been freed. He would have been turned loose. But Paul said, I have things to do. I have work to do. I have other people that I have to talk to. And, and as far as we know, Paul remained in prison the remainder of his life because of that. Paul suffered for the remainder of his life because of that. So many times in the Bible we find instances of people who came to hard times, who came to difficult times. And, and as the stones were falling on Stephen, as they were beating out his life, he said, Father, forgive them. He didn't sell out. Years ago, whenever I was in, oh, I must have been in junior high school. Right after 9-11, all of the terrorism mess going on. And, and they had these missionaries on TV. And I didn't get to watch it. I remember the, the preacher preaching about it. Mama told us about it. They had them lined up right here and they said, they said, deny God or we're going to cut your head off. And the first one said, I would not cut his head off. Can we find our faith strong enough not to deny God pending death? Can we find our faith not to sell out no matter what comes our way? Can we find ourselves not giving up on God, not giving up on what he has promised, not giving up on his work? Or do we say, hey, it's going to be easier 
It's going to be easier to just move on. It's going to be easier to just, just sell it, let me get me some food, and, and go about my day. That's what Esau did. He said, he said, I don't have to sit here and starve. I have an option. I have option A over here, which I, I can sell it, which is not benefiting me at all right now. I can sell out. And I can be happy for the rest of the day. And we're talking about just vegetables and water. It, it, it couldn't have been good. But he said, I can sell out and I can be happy for a day. Or I can continue to suffer. And maybe one day it'll be worth it. That was his two options. He said, I can be happy now. Or I can suffer now and it'll be worth it one day. The thing that, that Jacob did not tell him and that Esau did not understand was that the happy now came with a suffering later. The happy now always comes with a suffering later. Because there are people that sit in these pews this morning that are at Super Bowl parties right now. They're happy now, but their kids see them. Their kids see them not prioritizing Jesus. And this is every church in America right now. People are watching the Super Bowl with their kids and their kids are seeing, hey, football is more important than God. Don't think that kids don't notice whenever you're able to get them up and get them dressed and get them all off to school before 7 o'clock, five days a week. But it is impossible to get here for 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings for Sunday school. Kids notice. Emily said a while back, she said, oh, I... I don't know how we do Sundays. I, I don't like Sundays. That's what she said a couple of Sundays ago. I don't like Sundays. I said, how come? She said, because nothing goes right on Sunday. I said, because, because the only, that's the only day of the week that Satan fights us really, really, really hard. The rest of the week, we're not going to church. So it don't matter. But on Sunday mornings, whoo, if it can go wrong, it's going to go wrong. And on Saturday nights, some of y'all was up here to 10, 30, 11 o'clock last night. We was all slap wore out. And then about 12.30, the dogs got to barking and Emily woke me up. Brad, the dogs were cutting up outside. Yes, that's what dogs do. By that time, I was awake, so I couldn't go back to sleep. So I tossed and I turned, and about 1.30, I finally dozed off. And my great Pyrenees dog, he, he was chasing something and blew through the fence and, and got around there by them other dogs, and they started cutting up again. So about 2 o'clock, here I am again. Dogs woke, woke the whole house up. And about 3.30, Bailey turns over in her bed and, and, and hits the little radio Tony thing by her bed and it starts playing music. Y'all, I was tired this morning. That's the reason this looks like red to me because my eyes are only open this much. I was tired. Now, you better believe that's not going to happen on a Monday night. It's not going to happen on a Tuesday night. It's not going to happen on a Wednesday. I'll sleep like a baby. Six nights out of the week. But you come Saturday night, the world's going to work on us. There's going to be a million reasons for you not to come to church and only one reason to come to church. And that is, it is worth it. Every time. You can either be happy now and miserable later or you can suffer now and, and be glorified later. That is the option. There are churches today and hey. They justified it and they had more people coming to Sunday school than we do. They said, we're not going to have Sunday school anymore. It's too hard for people to get here. So what we're going to do is we're just going to be excited that they're at church. Well, what does that tell the kids? That tells the kids that everything else is more important. What does that tell the, the, the older generation that fought, that pushed, that worked to maintain 
God's work. That tells them the same exact thing that, that so many of us told our parents. What you worked for is not worth it to me. That's what Esau told Jacob. Isaac. He said, what you worked for, my birthright, what I'm supposed to get from you, what you have toiled for is not worth any more than a bowl of soup to me. What is God's work worth in our life? In reality, it should be worth everything, but that is in fact not the case. If it was, we would share the gospel everywhere that we go, but we don't. If it was, we would read the Bible every day, but we don't. If it was, we would pray all the time, but we don't. The work of God was as important to us, was as important to America. Can y'all imagine? Just, just think for a minute. There's going to be somewhere around, around 3 billion people. Watch that football game that kicked off about 10 minutes ago. 3 billion people. We can't wrap our, our mind around that many. Can you imagine if we had 3 billion of these in here right now? There wouldn't be no room for us. Three billion people is going to watch that football game tonight. Can you imagine if three billion people attended church one Sunday morning and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, rededicated their life to God? Can you imagine what kind of shape that our country would find itself in if that many people were revived? So why don't it happen? Because in order for God to get a hold of our life, there has to be a change. We have to push through the hunger. We have to change, and, and, and hey, change is suffering. It is. For us to change, and, and I've said this before, and I love the quote, uh, Brother Paul Washer, a missionary to Peru, he said it. He said, in order for us to have a new relationship with God, we must have a new relationship with sin. In order for us to love God, we must hate sin. In order for us to love sin, we must hate God. And there's no two ways about it. There's no splitting it. It's... That's it. And so we're either going to love God's work or we're going to love the world. We're either going to love God's work or we're going to love everything else. We're either going to want our birthright. We're either going to want to suffer for Christ. We're either going to want to be about His work. We're going to want to be part of the church. We're going to want to be an active church. We're going to want to win souls for Christ. Or we're going to want to do everything else. Which at the end of the day, does anybody know who won the Super Bowl in 1999? Anybody? I got a baby Jesus for the winner. Who, who's, who's got? No, nobody? In 10 years from now, you know who's going to remember who won the Super Bowl in 2024? Nobody. You know why? It don't matter. Remember the day you got saved? Whenever God changes your life, you remember it. I was going through some pictures that we found at my grandpa's old place. Uh, Forest Haven, the church I grew up at, they had their 50th uh, church anniversary this past weekend, and, and Aunt Carmen had asked me if I could find any pictures. And as I began to go through the pictures, I was saved at that church, and I found a picture of my grandpa baptizing me, and I remember exactly how cold that creek was. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember the haircut that I had. I remember that day. I remember the two weeks before it. Whenever I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior on September 1st. I 
remember when my cousins were baptized at that church. We had a revival, and we had six baptisms. We had three different preachers in the water because they was all kin to one of the kids. And in November, we went down to Push Tap Creek and we baptized six people in the church. I remember going down to, to back behind Miss Joan Kennedy's old house, and we would bush hog and we would weed eat. And about the time we'd get it all clean, we wouldn't have a baptism. A couple of weeks later, just long enough for the grass to grow back up, here we go again. And as a kid, as a 10, 12, 13-year-old kid, I was just rolling my eyes. Daddy, why do we got to do this all the time? And now as an adult, praise the Lord. I wish we had to fill that thing up every weekend. I remember those things. I have no idea who has won any Super Bowl ever. I don't. I don't remember. I'm sure that some people have won a bunch of them, but I, I don't. I, I don't remember them because they didn't matter. The things that matter is the work of God. The things that matter is is the the, the book of God. The things that matter is the church of God. Those are the things that we remember. Those are the things that count. And if we could only if we could only see that now, I guarantee. I, I guarantee you. That later on down the road, Esau regretted his decision. 100% he did. Because the next morning he got up and he was hungry. And he had to go find him something else to eat. And he could go find him something else to eat, but he could never get that birthright back. It was gone. It was done. He had given it away. He was finished. And he regretted that decision. I promise he regretted that decision. We were in First Baptist Church of Ruston. This lady came before the church. Pastor Chris, he, he was the pastor at the time, a younger man. Now, I guess he had asked the lady if he could share the story, and, and she had told him yes, so he began to share her story and said that she was wanting prayer for her kids. She said that all of her life she had been a member of that particular church. And she said, all of our life, we, we, we tried to attend the church. But she said, everything kept getting in the way. And, and he, he was sharing this story. He said that everything kept getting in the way. They had this and they had that. And her husband was working. And when he wasn't working, she was working. And, you know, one of them just couldn't get the kids together and get them to church. They had to have both of them. So on the one Sunday a month that they was both together at home on the same weekend, that they decided to go do something else because, you know, it was the only weekend that month that they were all going to be home together. And she said they would go months, plural, without attending church. She said they never missed a Christmas and they never missed an Easter because that's the Baptist holidays. That's the days that everybody comes to church. And she said as important as I thought everything else was, she said looking back, the only thing that I can say is that I'm the reason that my four boys are lost right now. She said, I claim responsibility. It's my fault. Because all of their life, I told them everything else was more important. I told them that church didn't matter. She said, we went years of our life without a Bible in the house. We didn't carry one to church because they had them in the back of the pew and and they put the the scripture up on the, the projector screen in the front of the church. She said, we didn't need a Bible. We didn't attend Sunday school because we definitely couldn't get up and make a 1130 service. On Sunday mornings, we just couldn't wake up in time. She said, I am the reason that my four boys are lost. And this is an old lady. She said, I'm the reason that my grandkids aren't in church. 
And I can't imagine that. I can't. I have two kids and I, I can't imagine not loving them enough to bring them to God's house. I can't imagine not loving them enough than to teach them the Bible. And to take a step beyond that, I, I've talked with people and I have friends and I can't imagine caring about everything else in this world and not caring all about their eternity. Y'all, eternity is a long time. A long time. Sometimes it may sound like I preach for an eternity, but I don't. I'm short and sweet. Eternity is forever. Eternity is as longer than our mind can ever imagine. And what you do with God on this earth, what you do to prepare for eternity down here, whether you sell out to the world and whether you commit to God, that, that determines a lot. That, that's a big deal. It's, it's not something that's just going to blow over and be done. It's real. It's important. And it's our duty as, as the church to value that. It's our duty as a church to push that. It's our duty as a church to prioritize that. It's our duty at the church to try to share that and spread that. Most of my life, from you know teenage years on up to where I'm at now, so for the last 15 years, up until just a year or two ago, I'd shake somebody's hand and say, I'm praying for you. Brother Dean, if I did that, you know how many times I prayed for? No. I would shake their hand and I would say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. Or I would text them and say, hey, I'm praying for you. You know how many times I did? None. You know why? Because it makes them feel good whenever somebody says, I'm praying for you. And I wouldn't preach to them. But it makes me feel good whenever somebody says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Means a lot more than you actually pray for. Mr. Randy Freeman that came in here with Bangs here a while back, he said something three, four, maybe four years ago. He came to Bible Baptist Church for their missions conference. And on his way out the door, I shook his hand. He said, Pray for us. I said, I will. Pray for us. And he said, As you cross my mind. I'll pray for you. I like that response. As you cross my mind, I'll pray for you. As God brings you to my remembrance, I'll pray for you. How many times do we say I'm praying for you and then don't? Whenever we tell somebody that we're praying for them, we're making a commitment to them. That we're going to lift their name up before God. And Lord knows that, that in this world we need it. And I hope and pray that y'all pray for me. So I pray for y'all. And with the exception of, of nobody. Every single person in this church tonight. Every single one of them. From, from the absolute oldest. Who's going to be the oldest in here? From the absolute oldest down to the absolute youngest. I call your name out to God every week in prayer. Every single one of you. And, and I pray for you. And, and I understand that it counts. And I also understand that, that I don't do it enough. 
Because the work of God is, is real. The work of God is permanent. The work of God has lasting effects. John chapter number 15, verse number 16. Jesus said, ye have not chosen me. First time I read this statement, I found it kind of weird. Jesus said, you have not chosen me. And so many people will tell you today that, that you have to choose to let Jesus into your heart. If Jesus wants to come in, y'all, he's coming. If he wants to come in, he's coming in. You can't keep him out. There's no such thing as open the door to your heart and let Jesus in. That don't happen. Salvation is believing in him. Jesus said that, that ye have not chosen me. But I have chosen you. He's talking to saved people. He's talking to his disciples. He said, I have chosen you and ordained you and called you out and, and picked you for a purpose is what ordained means here. That you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That is a powerful verse right there. He said, I have chosen you. That if you will obey me, that if you will love me, that if you will work for me, if you will bring forth fruit and your fruit shall remain, that whatsoever you ask of God, he'll give it to you. I believe that if we are walking in the spirit, that we can't ask things of God that are not in the spirit. I believe that. And the thing about it is, so many times we choose everything else. We have to bring forth fruit as Christians. We have to show the world who we are, what we are, how we are as Christians. God and Jesus has chosen us. They, he has ordained us that we should bring forth fruit. And if we sell out, if we say, God, I'm done. God, I'm finished. It is too hard. I can't do it. I heard the ladies packed out their Sunday school room this morning. Packed it out. I wish the men could do that. Wouldn't it be great if the men could pack out the Sunday school We have a long way to go. The ladies packed out their Sunday school room back there. And if my wife come out there saying there just wasn't enough room in there, I'm not going back next Sunday. She ain't going to say that. Or she ain't going to get away with saying that. But if we come out saying, why well, I'm just not going to do it. It's too hard. I don't want to sit that close next to somebody else. They smell weird. We can, we, can, we can choose all sorts of things to fuss about. We can barely ache and complain because life is difficult, because life ain't fair, because it's hard, because it's, it's uh, what's that word that the Bible uses? It's persecution. James said that, that we shall suffer. And this is not a tongue lashing. James was talking about whooping and beating. He was talking about mental, emotional, and spiritual suffering. Not just, you know, she said something about me. He said something I didn't like. The thing about bearing fruit is, whenever it gets cold, you still got to bear fruit. Whenever it's hot, you still got to bear fruit. When a chipmunk goes down there and chews on your roots, you still got to bear fruit. When the man that, that you're in his yard and he hits you with a lawnmower and kind of scrapes some bark off the side of you, you still got to bear fruit. Because if you don't, you'll get cut down. The Bible says that. 
It is our job as Christians to bear fruit. It is our job to continue in the word. It is our job to continue in the church. It is our job to be a light of the world. God does not need us to sustain his word, but he wants us to sustain his work. And we can only do that if we do not sell out to every little bitty thing that comes along. It is hard to attend church. It is worth it. It is hard to read the Bible, but it is worth it. It is hard to study the Bible, but it is worth it. It is hard to sing praises to God. And I wanted so bad to sing a special. But after that wonderful, awesome song that Mackenzie did, I was not there following that. So y'all missed that there. Maybe the devil was just working on me. It's hard to to get up in front of people and and sing and, and praise God, but it's worth it. It's hard to give to the church, but it's worth it. It's hard to work at the church, but it's worth it. It's hard to visit others, but it's worth it. It's, it's hard to pray for people, especially people you don't like. It's worth it. Not like most of y'all. It's hard to live for God. It's hard. We're going to get hungry. We're going to suffer. We're going to hurt. But it's always worth it don't sell out push on live for god oh we have a verse for song we're going to ask for a verse of invitation